episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. Well, Google is doing stuff. We had a, a quiet week last week in terms of algorithmic turbulence, but this week it looks like stuff is happening. Uh, Glenn Gabe pointed out that a lot of people are seeing a spike in Google's crawling of their sites. So I'll share with you how to check for that to see whether that's happening for your site. And we'll talk about what it could possibly mean if Google is suddenly much more interested than usual in crawling your content, although we don't really have any solid answers there. Uh, Google announced this week that the page experience update, the one we initially called the core web vitals update, is coming to desktop very soon. We'll talk about whether you need to care about that or not as well. And then we're going to finish up by talking quite a bit about what it means when Google uses the phrase YMYL, your money or your life. I've been wanting to dig in for quite a while now to what Google really means when they say YMYL. I mean, we've had the definition in the Quality Raiders guidelines. Uh, did you know that the term YMYL is in the QRG 104 times? I mean, you probably didn't know that. If you did, you're either on my team or just... Uh, unusual like us. <laughs> Google makes a really big deal out of determining whether content should be classified as YMYL. And it's been bugging me for a while now because I feel like it's important for us to understand why this is important to Google. But until now, I haven't really been able to put my finger on why. So in this episode, I'm going to talk it through and share what the QRG says and what Google documentation says and give a few thoughts on what possible advantages we could gain by better understanding this YMYL classification. Even if you don't think that you have YMYL content, this is very important understanding this, in my opinion. Okay, so this episode corresponds with Search News You Can Use, newsletter episode number 218 that's published by MHC, my team and I, and you can find it online at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. So let's talk about starting, uh, let's, let's start about talking about movement in the search results. Last week was the first week since midsummer that our newsletter didn't have any information about a possible update or wild changes in the search results. And then again, this week, the SEMrush sensor shot up to nine, meaning that there's a lot of movement in how Google is ranking sites across the board. It seems like all of the categories on SEMrush are up. For our clients, we have quite a few with increases around January 11th and 12th, and then again from the 14th to 16th. 16th. Now, does that mean that we had two big Google updates last week? I mean, it's, it's possible, but I don't think so. I want to share with you what I mean by that, because yes, I do think that something significant happened, but I think it's possible it's related to what's happening with the knowledge graph. Jason Barnard this week, he tweeted that around January 10th or so, the day before we started seeing turbulence on January 11th, uh, Calicube, his company that monitors knowledge graph changes, they noticed a big increase in confidence scores. So to me, it makes sense that if more information gets added to the knowledge graph, or if perhaps Google gets more confident in the information that's in there, it impacts how they rank pages. I, I, I really think that much of what Google tries to calculate in terms of EAT, because we know that EAT, it's not just a single score, 
It's a collection of many, many signals that Google's trying to gather to determine authenticity, to determine whether you're really a trustworthy business, uh, that they should send people to you, that you really do have expertise in this area, that other people see you as authoritative in this area. So as more information gets added to the knowledge graph that supports this idea, then I think that changes Google's perspective of EAT for your business, for the topics that you write on, and possibly even for your authors as well. So we've marked these dates in our algorithm update list. You can find that at mariehaines.com slash algo, A-L-G-O, because they're dates where it does seem like a lot of sites were affected or saw changes, but we're not going to analyze these as updates that we can learn from, at least not at this point. I I've seen more chatter than usual this week about SERP changes and ranking changes. So it wouldn't surprise me if we come back to this time. But I really think that the turbulence that we're seeing, SEMrush sensor has been really high, like other than that one week, most of the time. I think it's just kind of the norm now that we're going to see a bunch of turbulence. And other than say the product reviews update or the December core update, even then, like we really haven't found much benefit in trying to figure out exactly what it is that Google's doing. Um, Barry Schwartz had an article in Search Engine Roundtable this week where he shared Glenn Gabe's tweet where Glenn pointed out several sites were seeing big increases in the amount of crawling that Google had done in the last week or so. You can check this for your sites by going to Search Console, then Settings, and then the crawl report is in there as well. And you can see uh, how much of the crawl is refresh crawls versus discovery crawls. We talked about that in newsletter a little bit. I believe that was this week. Um, I remember back in 2014 or so, Alan Blayweiss was commenting that he often would see a big spike in crawl activity just before a site was uh, hit by Panda. And so the thought was that Google would spend more time reassessing content that was about to get hit by Panda. And at that time, I had quite a few clients that I was working with to try to help them recover from Panda hits. And when I looked at crawl stats for Panda hit sites, I really actually could not see a correlation that there was an in increase in crawling just before they were hit. Uh, and I really uh, have not been able to make that connection. So Barry Schwartz estimated that 10% of the sites he looked at this week had this big spike in Google crawling. I spot checked about 30 or 40 of our sites and found, I think about maybe eight that had obvious spikes. Um, not enough to give any solid numbers or really draw any conclusions from. But my point that I'm trying to make is that most sites uh, did not see obvious change in Google crawling. So does it even matter? I mean, why do we care if Google's ramped up crawling for a number of sites? When we were talking about this on Twitter, John Mueller said that an increase in crawling does not mean that a big update is happening. But I found what he said interesting, though. He said, quote, yeah, it's unrelated. I mean, there's always something launching after a spike in crawling, but there's always something launching. I get what he's saying. I mean, Google's always doing stuff. They're always launching things. But I think that's kind of interesting where he says there's always something launching after a spike in crawling. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but to me, uh, I do think that a big spike in crawling across your sites mean that Google, means that Google changed something uh, and now they need to reassess many pages or it can mean that. Uh, so we'll see what happens. It, it might be interesting for me to look and see whether particular page types uh, got more love from Googlebot this week, like maybe just YMYL pages. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see if I have time to do that later this week. 
it's possible that this is connected to the upcoming rollout of the page experience update on desktop. I, I don't think that's it. I had a, saw a few people on Twitter uh, suggesting that. Um, most of you probably know that the page experience update is the one that Google initially called the core web vitals update. And then they added in a few things like uh, mobile, mobile interstitials and mobile friendliness and whether you're HTTPS or not. Um, and they called it the page experience update. Well, Google announced this week that at some point in February, so coming up soon, the page experience update will roll out to desktop as well with everything in it other than mobile friendliness. Uh, there's a report in Search Console that you can see, and I recommend you look at it. Our recommendations here are to fix anything that's in a red score in there. But beyond that, it's debatable whether the work is really worth it in a lot of cases. My team and I had a discussion about what we think we're going to see across our client base when this rolls out to desktop. And given that the page experience update had very little effect when it originally rolled out on mobile, we feel the same thing's going to happen here. The interesting thing to note is that there are sites that have intrusive interstitials, so pop-ups that appear as soon as you open a page on desktop. And now Google says that that's a negative ranking factor. Uh, I spent some time this week going through our clients. I found a few examples of sites, not with interstitials, but with poor scores uh, in desktop URLs. So, you know, if Google gives us an exact date when they roll out this update, it'll be really interesting to see what happens to those sites. I, I honestly think, though, that unless your core Web Vitals issues cause serious problems for readers of your content, the impact is going to be minimal. We'll see, though. All right, I have been wanting to dig in more to Google's concept of YMYL, your money or your life, for a long time now. So this week I spent some time looking through the Quality Raiders guidelines and also other Google documentation just to see if I could get a better understanding of YMYL. I'm going to walk you through what the Quality Raiders guidelines say uh, as well, and we're going to look at a couple of the examples that are in there. If this is something that you haven't done before, I'd highly recommend that you look at all of the examples in the QRG. Look for ones that could be related to your topic or your area of business and see what you can learn from there. Now, it's important for me to say here that the QRG, the Quality Raiders Guidelines, are not an exact replica of Google's algorithms. It's a textbook that teaches the Quality Raiders how to assess quality like Google wants to. It's something that, um, if something's in the QRG, there's a good chance that this is something that Google wants to accomplish algorithmically. And Google's documentation on what site owners need to know about core updates when they make big updates to their algorithm, they tell us to pay attention to EAT saying, I'll quote here, assessing your own content in terms of EAT criteria may help it align conceptually with the different signals that our automated systems use to rank content. Well, that blog post on what webmasters need to know about core updates, it, it has questions that you can ask yourself. And we made a video a few weeks ago on core updates going through all the questions that Google says to ask. There is so much in that blog post about EAT. If you want to know more about EAT, the Quality Raiders guidelines describe how Google values these, uh, these values in great, great detail. So let me tell you what got me to study YMYL more seriously this week. I was reviewing a recent help hangout, and someone asked John Mueller this question. Would an SEO firm be classified as a, your money or your life website? Or is it only related to medical and financial advice websites? It's a good question. 
This doesn't happen often, but if, if I was asked this, my answer would have been different than John's. And you know what? I bet you John's more right than I am. And I think some of my thoughts that I had previously on YMYL, YMYL may not be correct. So how would you answer this question? Is an SEO agency, is content on their pages YMYL? My thought has always been that if your content helps people make decisions that involve money, then we should consider this YMYL. I mean, it's your money or your life, right? And SEO decisions usually have financial implications. But, but John said no. He said, quote, I don't think SEO websites are critical to people's lives. First of all, I'm shocked and offended, John. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I, I get what he's saying. Me making a decision on whether to disavow a link or maybe optimize for core web vitals, it's not going to affect my life in the same way that a decision on maybe taking a medication or deciding on a medical treatment or, um, you know, making a really, really important financial decision in my life would. So John also went on to say that not every site that sells something is YMYL. So I've always preached that if you sell anything, you're inviting people to part with their credit card. Even if it's just a $2 pen, like it's your money or your life. People have to trust you in order to give your, their credit card to you. So my team and I have had this discussion a few times, we debating whether or not Google would consider pages on a store's website, YMYL, if they were just smelling, uh, smelling, <laughs> selling small, inexpensive items. Um, section 2.3 of the Quality Raiders Guidelines lists out all the different types of YMYL topics or pages. I'm going to read the topics here. News and current events, civics, government, and law. So if you give people information about voting or, say, government agencies, then that content is considered YMYL. Finance, health, and safety is the next category. So that's medical sites. Any content that talks about groups of people is also considered YMYL. Let me read this section because the information, this is really, really important. If you write on any of these topics, information about or claims related to groups of people, including but not limited to those grouped on the basis of age, caste, disability, ethnicity, gender identity, and expression, immigration status, nationality, race, religion, sex, gender, sexual orientation, veteran status, victims of a major violent event and their kin, or any other characteristic that's associated with systemic discrimination or marginalization. That's a mouthful. If you have content on any of those subjects, then those pages are considered YMYL, and they're going to be held to a higher standard by Google. There's also a category for shopping. Here's what it says. Information about or services related to research or purchase of goods and services particularly web pages that allow people to make purchases online. To me, this reads that if you sell stuff, you're YMYL. I mean, this could be something where uh, what's taught to the raiders is not exactly what's in Google's algorithms. I don't know. Whenever we have this discussion, though, we always end up coming to the same conclusion, and that's that the answer to this question really shouldn't change our SEO advice. But now I've been wondering about that. And I actually don't think that's right either. 
John mentioned before that EAT might be less important for e-commerce sites. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't work on improving EAT for e-commerce sites? Because we do. That's what we recommend. We have a massive section of our report that's dedicated to EAT and comparing it to your competitors. Um, what about recipe sites? We do the same there. Does that mean that EAT doesn't matter to them? Well, I'm going to try and show you why focusing on EAT is very important for every site even if you're not YMYL. And if you do have content that could be considered YMYL, it's very important to identify this content and apply everything we know in regards to EAT to it. This is the content that you need to be updating frequently in which you need to have good author bios and demonstrate expertise and have good use of citations and references. Uh, Google's guide on how they fight disinformation explains YMYL really well. I'm gonna read this here. The title says, we take additional steps to improve our trustworthiness of our results for contexts and topics that our users expect us to handle with particular care. Our search quality raters guidelines acknowledge that some types of pages could potentially impact the future happiness, health, financial stability, or safety of users. We call those pages your money or your life pages, or YMYL. We introduced the YMYL category in 2014. Interesting. They include financial transaction or information pages, medical and legal information pages, as well as news articles, and public and or official information pages that are important for having an informed citizenry. This last category can comprise anything from information about local, state, or national government processes or policies, news about important topics in a given country, or disaster response services. Okay, so talking, they talk about having a YMYL category, and then in the next paragraph, they talk about having YMYL pages and also YMYL topics. I'll read. For these YMYL pages, we assume that users expect us to operate with our strictest standards of trustworthiness and safety. As such, where our algorithms detect that a user's query relates to a YMYL topic, we will give more weight in our ranking systems to factors like our understanding of the authoritativeness, expertise, or trustworthiness of the pages we present in response. So Google is saying that when their algorithms determine that the user's query is related to a YMYL topic, they give more weight in the ranking systems to EAT. Google's made great improvements in understanding a user's intent as well. So BERT was one of the advancements where Google told us that BERT made them much better able to understand queries the intent behind queries. So who knows, perhaps some of these unnamed updates that we've had in the last few years have been because Google got better at understanding whether a query should be treated as YMYL. So I opened up the QRG this week and I did a search for YMYL and I read every instance to see if I could find something. Uh, and suddenly I saw something that blew my mind. Now, my mind is easily blown. <laughs> I love when I find something that I haven't seen before. I I've read these guidelines so many times, and for the first time, I noticed that the examples that they give, they actually say whether they're YMYL or not. So I, I had wanted to look at a bunch of these, but for the sake of time, we're just gonna look at a couple. Uh, this is under section 4.6, examples of high quality pages. 
They show an article in the Seattle Times about the Seattle chief of FBI retiring abruptly. I didn't read the article. It sounds like a scandal or something. Uh, would this be a YMYL page? What do you think? Well, if you recall, one of the topics that was considered YMYL was civics, government, and law. So this is marked in the QRG as a YMYL page. The raiders are told that this page was a high-quality page because it had a satisfying amount of high-quality main content, and the website had a positive reputation, winning awards and having a reputation for investigative reporting. It also recognizes the EAT of the publisher and or author here. So this makes sense, right? Because if it's a YMYL page, then Google needs to be able to trust that this content is expert written and trustworthy. So let's say you wrote the best article of its kind on this story about the FBI agent retiring, like your personal perspective because you were there somehow. What kind of EAT would you need to rank? Because I don't think you can rank for YMYL just based on the fact that you have good content. Would it be enough to have a quote from, say, a police officer? What about from somebody who's an expert on how the FBI works? What if you had, um, you know, an expert reviewer on your content? Would that be enough to rank if you were trying to rank for this story? Well, remember, Google told us that for YMYL pages, they only want to rank content that's within their strictest standards in terms of EAT. I want to give you a couple of quotes from the QRG that relate to this. First, uh, for YMYL informational topics, the reputation of a website or content creator should be judged by what experts in the field have to say. That's important. Actually, let me read this part, section 5.2. This is the second paragraph. For YMYL topics especially, careful checks for reputation are required. YMYL reputation should be based on evidence from experts, professional societies, awards, etc., so if you're writing this article on this government official, this YMYL article, Google's algorithms are trying to replicate what they tell the quality raters to do. They're looking for evidence of your reputation from other experts in the field. I don't think that having an expert quote or an expert reviewer for this type of content would be enough for Google to consider holding you as the higher, being at the highest standard in terms of EAT. For this type of story, because it's a YMYL topic, they're always going to prefer authoritative sites like big news publishers or sites that are known for their expertise in talking about the government. I do think that that type of authority can be built. Mention building, getting links in authoritative places can build up Google's perception of authority for a site. And reputation management and other things are likely important here too. But if your topic is YMYL, then you need a lot of authority and trustworthiness to rank. It's also important to know that in another place in the guidelines, this was added in 2018, they say that for YMYL topics, even a mildly mixed reputation is reason for a low rating. So let's look at another example. They show a page from Target, uh, the shopping place, that simply has a bunch of backpacks and it links to a bunch of product pages. And then they mark this page saying that it's the highest quality. They say the purpose of the page is to allow users to buy a school backpack. The page provides a lot of different backpack options, and some of them have user reviews. This is a well-known, reputable merchant with detailed customer service information on the site. So do you think that this page selling backpacks is YMYL? It's shopping. 
So people are parting with money. But John said that not every site selling products is YMYL. In this case, the example is labeled as YMYL. And I know some of you might be thinking, well, maybe it's because uh, it's to protect the safety of children because they're selling backpacks. But there's another example um, in there of an online game for children, and it's not listed as YMYL. Now, does this mean that every site that sells products needs to pay attention to every aspect of EAT? No. This page doesn't have author bios, nor would you expect it to. And if you were competing against this page, writing a great article about backpacks and including an author who's known as uh, authoritative, I guess, when it comes to talking about backpacks, it's not going to make them this page more valuable or more trustworthy or more probably a better thing to say would be more useful to searchers who are shopping for a backpack. Uh, you know, we might try to convince ourselves that it is, but most people are looking for this page to land on either Target or some other store that they recognize. So let's go back to the section of the QRG that I was reading, where it says that YMYL reputation should be based on what experts in the field have to say. It then goes on to say this, quote, for shopping pages, experts could include people who have used the store's website to make purchases. Whereas for medical advice pages, experts should be people or organizations with appropriate medical expertise or accreditation. For shopping pages, what Google looks for in terms of EAT is different. What's important here is that the store is not scamming people, that people like the products. That's interesting, right? It's different stuff than what you would uh, be working on and trying to improve for EAT for a medical site. And it goes on to say that some topics such as humor or recipe sites, maybe less formal expertise is, is okay in these topics. And in these cases, the raters are still told to look for reputation information, but the type of information they should look for is different. Now, we've been preaching to get recommendations from experts in your field to improve EAT, no matter what your niche is. I still think this can help any site. I mean, if you're a recipe site and you get mentioned in the New York Times in an article about great recipes, that got to help your EAT. It helps Google see you as more authoritative, and it could improve the way people trust and recognize your authority as well. <laughs> Funny story. I was interviewed by a reporter from the New York Times uh, about a story that they're doing on negative SEO. It was just a couple weeks ago. I'm super excited if it gets published because the example that I always give of an authoritative publication would be if you got mentioned in the New York Times that would showcase your expertise. <laughs> so hopefully that gets published and doesn't misquote me or <laughs> I know that's happened to a lot of uh, a couple of SEOs. And then I was putting, I've been putting my phone away for big chunks of time and I missed an email from BBC Five Live. The BBC, they wanted to have me on. Now, get this, of all the areas where I might have some expertise, they wanted me because number one, they needed a woman, I've got that, and number two, they needed somebody who lived in a cold country. <laughs> they picked me because I was female and Canadian. They wanted me to go talk about some winter song that a comedian was singing, I'm not joking. Still, uh, the reporter said, though, she's going to try to find another time where she can put me on because I have other cool stuff I could talk about. So, uh, ah, rabbit trail. I'm coming back, coming back. Okay, recipe sites. You are not YMYL unless you're advising on medical topics, but most of you are not. The raters still, though, are told to assess your reputation online. And this is the thing. Even all of the examples that the QRG has where they say it's not YMYL, they go on to talk about the EAT 
of these pages. And so we cannot assume that if you are not YMYL that you can ignore EAT. Um, so this is, reputation is one part of EAT. It, it speaks to two things. First, your trustworthiness. That's what we always think of when we speak of reputation. If users are leaving bad reviews or seeing that your recipes don't work or don't trust you for some reason, these are all issues that you want to fix. But look at how the raters are told to assess reputation. For recipe sites, what's more important here is more what the reputation of the site is on how authoritative a website is, how recognizable the site or perhaps the brand is. Let me read this. For some topics such as humor or recipes, less formal expertise is okay. For these topics, popularity, user engagement, and user reviews can be considered evidence of reputation. For topics that need less formal expertise, websites can be considered to have a positive reputation if they are highly popular and well-loved for their topic or content type and are focused on helping users. There's really a lot in that paragraph I just read. I believe EAT is important for every site on the web, but the amount of EAT and even the type of information that Google uses to determine EAT differs depending on several factors. For medical, legal, financial, and other obviously YMYL topics, if you want to rank, Google's gonna wanna see that there's significant evidence that other people in the world consider you a good person or brand known to authoritatively discuss this topic. For recipe sites and other sites writing on topics that aren't YMYL, other things are important. You wanna be working on getting you and your brand recognized, highly popular, well-loved, and most importantly, focused on helping people by providing the best content you can in ways that users find useful. And here's something that Barry Schwartz published on Search Engine Roundtable uh, about a recent Google Help Hangout. This is from Search Engine Roundtable. Google's John Mueller was asked if energy supply types of websites would fall into the YMYL category and thus have to hold to a higher standard for EAT concepts. John said he doesn't have an absolute answer because Google does not have categories hard-coded into their algorithms. John said, I don't know. So I think for things like this, on one hand, we don't have this hard-coded into the algorithms that we try to look for these specific kinds of pieces of content. So it's not something where we would have an absolute answer. But this next part is the most interesting to me. What is interesting is that John said you can test it with your users. He said, quote, you can ask your users directly or you can do like a small user study where you could do maybe A-B testing on your website where you have some kind of content with an author or some, uh, some of it without an author, author. And then you just see like from almost a natural point of view, do users react differently to this content based on that and make your decision? So I think that as Google gets better at understanding user intent, they are also understanding what level of EAT is required for your query. On one extreme, is this a YMYL query where they absolutely must rank an authoritative, trustworthy site? Or is this perhaps a hobby or a recipe query where they want to rank a site that has a reputation for being helpful and is known for producing content that users like? Here's another quote from the QRG. Scientific papers have a different set of standards than information about a hobby such as stamp collecting. I think that's something that would be good for every site to do is to look critically at your content 
and ask yourself whether it fits into any of the YMYL categories that are mentioned in the Quality Raiders Guidelines. It's not sites that are YMYL. Whenever Google talks about YMYL, they mention pages or topics. So if you have a page that discusses the answer to a medical query, then unless you have stellar EAT, it's probably not worth putting expensive time and effort into this page because it's probably not going to rank, even if it's really good content, if it's lacking EAT. But here's the thing that I think is even more important. If you have some content on your site that's YMYL and some that's not, then that non-YMYL content can potentially hurt you. I want to finish by reading John's answer to another uh, recent Help Hangout question. This is about a site uh, that writes on YMYL topics and also non-YMYL topics. John says, it's really hard to say uh, we don't have an EAT score. It's not that we look at one metric and we say that this is the score for authoritativeness for your website overall. That's kind of one thing on the side. The other thing is, I think if you have a website that covers very sensitive topics, as well as very trivial topics, then it's always going to be challenging for Google's algorithms to figure out how to deal with that website. So regardless of anything around YMYL or EAT or anything, if you have this mix of very polar opposites, almost with regards to content, then I would assume that Google's algorithms are always going to struggle with figuring out how to rank your website. It might be that they tip over and say, oh, this is actually a pretty good website overall and everything will rank better. It might be that I tip over it and say, oh, actually there's a lot of really tri trivial, useless stuff on this website and we will not rank it better. It's also possible that we can figure out this, uh, the kind of clear separation between those two areas and try to rank them individually, but that's not guaranteed. And then he goes on to talk about an extreme example where a site perhaps has adult content mixed with non-adult content. And he shares about splitting that content out onto its own section of the site. I do think there could be merit into making sure that your YMYL content is on its own separate folder or subdomain, or in some way obviously separated out from non-YMYL content uh, so that potential quality issues in the latter won't affect the stuff Google's gonna hold to a high standard in terms of EAT. I think it's really important to understand which parts of your site are considered YMYL by Google. And for those parts that are not YMYL, be aware that quality issues there could impact your ability to rank on your important YMYL queries. And probably in Discover as well, because EAT is very important in Discover as well. So I still do have some unanswered questions after doing this research. I mean, whether or not a site that sells novelty, low-cost supplies would be considered YMYL, I still don't know. And in that case, I'd err on the side of caution and really focus on building up your reputation online and being known as the go-to place for whatever it is you're selling, the place that everybody's talking about. Not easy to do, though. Uh, I think I've got a lot more to learn here. I'll probably write all of this into an article soon. You know, me being off this summer, it forced my team to take a lot of my business, running a business tasks off of uh, my plate, which means that my main job right now is to learn and to teach. 
And then my team takes all the stuff that I've learned. Uh, I mean, they do their own learning too, but I'm doing a lot of it right now. Um, and we see what we can do with that to help our clients improve. Um, if you do want to work with us, you can reach out to us at help at mariehaines.com. Um, I believe we're booking into February right now, but uh, I could be wrong on that. And so now I've got some more time to learn and to write and to share stuff with you guys in podcasts. So we're going to be publishing podcasts every two weeks. Newsletter is still weekly, but podcast is every two weeks now. I'm all recovered from my summer off, but bi-weekly podcasts are way more manageable for me. Oh, I'm going to end with another, another funny story. So if you've been listening for a while, you know that I took the summer off. It was right, right around the time that the June core update had happened and there was a lot of stress going on in my life at the time, in everybody's life, right? Pandemic and all that stuff. Um, and I really, really thought I had a kidney stone. Uh, I was sure I was. Well, I had so many tests. That's what we told everybody that it was a kidney stone. If you contacted the office looking for me, you were told I had a kidney stone. Well, I had all these tests and, and the doctors told me that they believed I had pain, but I didn't have a kidney stone. The pain was real, but there was no kidney stone. It was all in my head. And uh, so I spent my summer learning meditation and nutrition. I got nice and healthy. I, I've got more to go, but I'm, I'm learning a lot and really feeling good. And I had pain throughout that time. I've had bouts of pain, but I learned even each time I learned how to like calm it with my mind. And then last week, this disgusting eight millimeter black rock passed out. I did have a kidney stone <laughs> that they said I didn't have. And this whole summer that I thought I had pain in my head uh, was legitimately the pain of a kidney stone. So uh, too much information to share, I'm sure. I I've been incredulous ever since I've seen this thing. We're sending it off to figure out what it is. I, I said to David, I didn't realize how much pain I was in until I wasn't in pain. And uh, what a freaking year 2021 was. I'm telling you, 2022 is going to be better. Omicron is apparently at its peak here in Ottawa, and I am hopeful that with vaccines and common sense, we can start gathering again and uh, having life back to some form of normal again. I hope you've enjoyed this type of podcast. I, I learned a lot in creating it. A lot of effort went into it and time, so um, hopefully I'll be able to do more of these. Thanks so much for listening, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Thank you.